More stimulating talk is coming up. You can find K57 on 570 AM. Oh, we've got a bunch of callers uh, online. K57.com. And good evening. And it's time for the Dad Hub. PNCGuam.com. Good evening and welcome to another edition of Vet Talk. The K57 apps. And now on 96.5 FM, you're locked on to News Talk K57. KGUM, Kaganya Guam, News Talk K57. night and it's time for the data hub with Tyrone Titano. I'm Tyrone Titano, your host. I'm the director of the Bureau of Statistics and Plans and tonight we'll tackle two issues. Uh, one is the uh, is the uh, what's happening with the zero waste program and secondly and that will be joined by Conchita Titano, administrator of the uh, zero waste uh, uh, program uh, that's under the auspices of the zero waste working group uh, chaired by first gentleman Jeff Cook and then after the seven o'clock hour uh, we're going to tackle the upcoming election, which is a week from today. We uh, go to the polls when, actually, when, in fact, though, many of us have gone to the polls also as part of uh, the current early voting situation. And we'll have uh, Maria Pangolin, an executive director of the Guam Election Commission, on to update us as to how early voting is going, what's happening, and uh, how much longer we have early voting, and, what, and those voters who show up on Election Day, uh, what they can expect. Uh, there's a headline today's post today that nearly 10,000 ballots have been cast already during early voting. This is like uh, one, almost one-fifth of the total number of registered voters, which is, which is amazing. And it's sort of reflective of what's happening uh, nationwide uh, because of the uh, COVID-19 situation, uh, like here on Guam. Uh, there have been a number of uh, measures to put in place for mail-in voting and for early voting, and it's uh, in the process of breaking all sorts of records. Uh, there are counties in Texas that so far have uh, the early vote uh, is equal to the total uh, to half the amount of uh, of a vote in the last presidential election, which was uh, absolutely amazing. And there's still like almost a week left in early voting to uh, to continue on. And uh, for those of you who have watched uh, uh, some of the news coverage of this, you've seen the the long lines of people uh, lining up to uh, uh, to vote. Unfortunately, uh, we've never had that ex- uh, experience because of uh, substantial investments in election infrastructure uh, and uh, and a commitment to uh, to making sure people have uh, access to to uh, to voting. But we're going to uh, take up those issues with um, Maria Pangolina, the executive director of the Guam Election Commission, after the uh, seven o'clock news. But hopefully, joining us soon will be Conchita Titano, administrator of the. Uh, a zero waste working group. Uh, for those who aren't familiar with this program, uh, the zero waste working group was established um, by executive order by Governor Lulian Guerrero uh, late last year, and uh, its chairs, as I said, its first gentleman Jeff Cook. And the whole concept of zero waste is to 
uh, take waste and instead of uh, sending it to the uh, to the landfill uh, and burying it, but actually using it as uh, converting it from waste to resources to fuel a green economy and that will create more private sector jobs. And this has been uh, a key part of Governor Lulangro's strategy uh, for the economic recovery from COVID-19, which is not just bringing back traditional interests like tourism, but diversifying into uh, industries that have not been sufficient uh, attention before, like agriculture and aquaculture, but developing new industries in terms of IT and also in the green economy. Um, uh, essential uh, uh, plank the, of, um, of uh, a lot of movement nationwide, particularly is dealing with climate change. Uh, and we have with us the administrator of the Zero Waste Working gr Group, uh, Conchita Tyson. Conchita, are you there? Yes, I am. Ah, good so, evening, Guam. Good evening. So, Conchita, you've been on the program before, and I asked you back just to uh, continue to share some of the information that's. Uh, uh, that that's been going out there to the community here. Like a couple of weeks ago, I believe you uh, uh, made a presentation along with Jacobs Engineering, who's under contract uh, to uh, in support of the zero waste um, uh, program. Jacobs Engineering is a Fortune 500 company and one of the world's leading engineering companies, and we're fortunate to have their expertise in developing initiatives under the zero waste program to convert waste into resources to fuel the green economy. And just a couple of weeks ago, you and I and um, it was it Corey, I guess. Uh, Kajita? Yes, yes. Yes, made, made a presentation to the Idlewine Beautification Task Force, chaired by Lieutenant Governor Joshua Tenorio. And um, it, it, it's, I'm, it's, um, and the, the subject, I believe, was the, was the waste characterization study, was it not, Kajita? Yes, it was. Yes. Um, and that waste characterization, that, that study began in September of, of last year. And we finalized everything, and, and that was completed. Uh, the full report was completed around January, and we presented it at the uh, the uh, fifth uh, symposium for uh, the fifth planner symposium. And and, um, and by the way, those of you who want to hear see part of the presentation uh, je uh, this week, uh, there was a presentation on the waste characterization at the uh, fifth Assembly of Planners Symposium that it was organized by the Bureau of Statistics and Plans and held earlier this year in February. It was um, actually one of the last great government uh, gatherings before the COVID-19 restric uh, restrictions kicked in, and, and such mass gatherings were, uh, were restricted for uh, valid public health reasons. But at that, uh, Conchita and Jacobs and Nearing uh, presented this waste characterization study, and uh, the proceedings of the fifth uh, um, annual Assembly of Planners Symposium uh, last February was, uh, was uh, recorded and taped by our partners at PBS Guam, and Ina Kriller people um, uh, have been working to uh, put this on, on the air. It was originally planned to do this sometime in March and April, but the COVID-19 restrictions kind of inhibited that process. And, and PBS Gone's resources are directed to uh, public service announcements on behalf of the fight against COVID-19. But uh, they recently, her harboring team recently completed uh, putting all the proceedings on, on, um, uh, on the government channels, uh, that's uh, I believe it's GTA 16 and uh, Docomo 116. So anyone interested in 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 viewing the the um, the uh, proceedings of the fifth annual assembly planners, just uh, turn to those channels, and it's on a, a loop running continuously, including a presentation by the on the waste characterization study uh, that uh, Conchita referred to, which uh, uh, by the way should be mentioned, it was uh, though largely con uh, uh, conducted by Jacobs and Nourishing, but also in uh, in, in supporting it was also uh, the people at Department of Public Works and also the Bureau of Statistics and Plants. Isn't that correct, uh, Conchita? That's right. That's right. You know, when you're talking about the the waste characterization study, there was a lot of work done, and 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 we did it 
primarily in partnership with the, the Bureau of Statistics and Plans, because there was two parts to it. I mean, obviously, uh, we're interested in the data because you need data to to design uh, design any infrastructure system, if you will, uh, to implement the, the Guam Zero Waste Plan. Um, but we also were, wanted to take a look at uh, the illegal uh, dump sites and see what people were were throwing there, and and um, and we had some great funding from BSP, and thank you for that. Uh, and so we were able to to get a picture of of really what people are throwing away. Yeah, in other words, in order to design zero waste uh, initiatives to to transform waste into resource the fuel economy, it's important to come up with a picture as to how much and the characterization of the waste and what type of waste you're dealing with. Uh, that's kind of the uh, that's the basic foundation of the study, and and it's actually add a lot of gravitas and weight to the initiatives that have been since then have been developed by. Uh, under the zero waste program, particularly with Jacobs Engineering. Um, anyone, by the way, anyone interested in joining the conversation with um, Conchita and myself, please, you can, the lines are open at 477-5757. That's 477-5757. We are broadcast live on Newstalk K57 and simulcast on GTA Channel 3 and Docomo Channel 2. We're also broadcast live at 96.5 FM and uh, streamed live on Facebook at Newstalk KFD7 and also on uh, pncguam.com and kfd7.com. So, uh, uh, Conchita, perhaps uh, in, the, uh, in the time we have um, uh, with you here, perhaps come and touch on some of the sort of highlights uh, from the waste characterization study that was also, by the way, presented to the Onway Beautification Task Force at uh, at Lieutenant Governor Josh's Tenora's behest uh, a couple weeks ago. Maybe just touch on the highlights. What's what's the uh, interesting stuff that was found from the waste characterization study? Well, let me let me just go back just a tiny bit because you know I know when uh, some of the questions that always come up to us is well, you know we did a study. There was a study done before, so why is this so much better? And it, it's really not so much better. It, it's just more current. And and when Jacobs, you know, we had Jacobs do this work, we made sure that we. We, they did a, they grabbed samples that were representative of what's going on out there. So we mentioned the illegal dump sites. Uh, we also took a look at various sectors, the commercial sector, the residential single family, residential multifamily, and the military. And we grabbed about, uh, with the exception of the illegal dump sites, because we, we grabbed samples from four sites there. Um, I mean, uh, we had four samples. For all the rest, we had 30. 30 samples each, and each sample weighed between 200 to 300 pounds, and and people went through, a whole bunch of people went through the trash, yeah. piece and, by piece, and, 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 and weighed everything. So the overall results, and you're at, to get, to, get to the, the results, what we found was that a significant amount of, uh, of what's being, what's making its way into the landfill Number one is organic. Well, Kashina, before we get into that, I just don't want to sure. glass over this one point. One, again, the major value of this characterization session is that actually sampled uh, what was out there in the community and the uh, in the landfill and other and other uh, sites here. Um, uh, just last year, as opposed to um, the previous studies, which I believe were derived from an even previous study. Isn't That's that not correct. the case? So, so the, just so folks don't fully understand the value of this, it actually went out and sampled what was actually out there as opposed to reading a previous study and deriving it from that and making extrapolations. So this was, a, this was very much a hard research 
uh, and and that's why its 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 value sort of looms large in this whole process. So so go, sorry to interrupt you, Ms. Kanjeda. Why don't you go uh, continue with uh, what what was found in the study? Well, well, no worries, and I I, I I thank you for for uh, emphasizing that because it really is a significant uh, uh, piece of a document, if you will, that that provides. Uh, insight of what's going on right now, what's going into the landfill. And so what we found out in terms of an overall uh, picture, we found that 27% of what goes into the landfill by weight is organics. Sec- and, and then second would be plastics. That's 20 at 25%. Then we have various inorganics. And believe it or not, people always thought that paper was going to come up on top, but because that, that's what was assumed in the previous studies. And really, paper is at 15%. And a lot of it has to do with uh, there's been bans of, of, of primarily of the cardboard going into the landfill. And, and, and that has helped out tremendously. And so if we were to break it down further, and you know, if you, we were comparing the single to the the multifamily, they're pretty much the same if you take a look at the pie. I mean, they may be off by a percentage or two in any one of the categories. Obviously, with the commercial sector, uh, the, the numbers uh, rise considerably in the area of organics, and I'll explain why. Uh, and then even with, with plastics and, and to a, a smaller set uh, paper, it, they, there's, there's come up to about 17%. Uh, for the illegal dump site, the big one there is, is plastics. Any, anything that's, that's truly organic it was, is pretty much uh, broken down into, into, well, into soil, if you will, or was eaten by, by, uh, by, by, the, by the animals, by the feral dogs or cats out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, if there's, I know that, that uh, Jacobs had mentioned that our, the organics uh, percentage was kind of high, but that was attributed to to the payloader going in and digging up the dirt and the grass to, to go with it. So so that's not really representative. The, the number of 24% is not representative of true waste that was dumped. Now, and forgive me, let me, I'm looking at the the data right now. And, right, and, and maybe while you're looking at the data, Conchita, I just want to mention uh, to everybody once again that if you want to see the full presentation of the waste characterization study, you can turn to the government channels on the DOCOMO or, or on uh, on GTA, or go to the uh, Guam Coastal Management uh, Program uh, YouTube channel, and uh, you can access uh, pretty much all the proceedings from the Assembly Plan Symposium that would cover not only the presentation of the waste characterization study, uh, but also some of the uh, some of the initiatives that have been developed as part of the zero waste program here, including um, a, a composting. Uh, uh, demonstration project. It was done earlier this year, and uh, it, with the idea was to take uh, biosolids produced by the sewage uh, uh, processing facilities uh, from uh, Waterworks, and instead of burying the landfill at a cost of well over a million dollars a year to the wa- to Waterworks, instead uh, have them redirected to a composting operation that would uh, t- turn it into. Uh, uh, the sort of potting soil fertilizer that can be used with uh, with agriculture and with for uh, planting of uh, uh, trees and also uh, gardening and, and and other purposes and 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 in the process create private sector jobs. Um, the one of the bases for the zero waste program is uh, to employ professionals like Jacobs Engineering, again one of the world's leading engineering companies, to do the basic science. Uh, to show uh, what can be done here on Guam and do do the, the studies and the demonstration projects so you know exactly how everything works. And from that, uh, scale it up 
to work on and say on almost an industrial level uh, so you can process large amounts of waste uh, and and therefore direct it redirect away from the landfill and thereby save money for the taxpayers because you're extending on the landfill and in the process producing something useful for uh, the community that can be sold and thereby support private sector jobs that's the underlying concept and anyone who wants to uh, take a look not only the waste characterization study but some of the initiatives like the uh, composting demonstration project there's uh, there's also which was also explained in the assembly planner symposium but also on the following day after the symposium, there was a field trip up to the composting demonstration site with a briefing by Jacobs Engineering and, and Conchita as well, in which you could see the site and, and went to the mechanics how it's done and uh, people got to answer questions and in attendance were uh, a number of the uh, um, symposium's participants, including Vice Speaker Tulina Nelson and uh, uh, Senator Clint Rogel. Uh, and uh, so you can see that. Uh, uh, at, at work when you tune into the government channel. So, Conchita, sorry for the uh, sorry for the uh, side uh, bar here. So you were no, saying? No, no, not at all. So let's let's talk a little bit about these waste categories, okay? So we talked a little bit about you know uh, the organics and, and that it, it was a significant there was a significant amount of, of organics going into into Lausanne. And so you said, well, what do you mean by organics? Well, what we were looking at were three categories. Food waste, yard waste, then wood uh, construction and de uh, demolition, debris, lumber. And the largest amount, the largest percentage, and it ranges between 90% to up to 99% of that pie, it comes from food waste. Food mm -hmm. waste. That is what is the biggest waste stream going into Lausanne. And so we also, you know, perhaps we're in, in another conversation, we could talk about some of the strategies that uh, we're looking at because, you know, earlier, well, actually it was around February, we finalized the document on the, the food waste assessment guidance document uh, for Guam and, and, you know, some of the strategies that could, can be considered in diverting the food waste. But I tell you, we, when, when that document was done, it was, it was, we, we did not, we had an idea of the amount, but we did not realize that it, it held the largest percentage of what's going into the landfill. And, and uh, in terms of organics, it is between 90 to 99%. For the yard waste, you see a few things, you know, maybe anywhere ranging from 1% to 10%, uh, not as much. And then the wood lumber, uh, 0 to 3 so, so really, 90 percent, 90 to 99 percent. Commercial, of course, is at the highest for single dwelling units. 90 multi dwelling, like your apartment buildings, 96. And the military, believe it or not, is up at 95 percent. Because as you, and um, I don't know, if folks know, but but um, the, the the municipal waste generated on the bases are taken and disposed at the Lausanne landfill. So if, if I could go on further, Please. we can talk a little bit about the next category, which is plastic. And we found that it's really the one, two, three, four, five, six. It's the, the, the largest percentage of plastics that are being, dis, being disposed at the landfill is the number seven. That's like your film, the plastic film. That's, and, and that ranges anywhere between the lowest is 65%, and that's coming from your apartments. The highest is 70, and that's coming from the military. 
And then so people ask, well, what about the plastic bottles? Those are your pets, right? Your, and, and those range between 19 to 22%. And then the number two, which is your HDPE, comes in, comes in second. But I want to be able to, to talk a little bit about the, the statistics that go on with this. And, and I think people are, are going to be a bit surprised because I, I just did a presentation at another national meeting with uh, ECOS. Well, well, well you got nine minutes left, that, so go, go, go for it. Okay, so so what it is, like to, to take it even further about the plastic, that you know, up to twenty four thousand tons of plastic waste is generated in Guam each year, and only two hundred tons are successfully recycled. We know where they're coming from. We know that the bulk of it, and when you say available plastic, that plastic that could be recycled, it's all being landfilled. So, again, this is an area where we can certainly make improvements in diverting uh, this waste stream from the landfill, uh, create jobs, as you pointed out, uh, save, save money in many ways, uh, especially with respect to uh, uh, constructing a new cell. Mm -hmm. Now, one of the things we ask with the plastic, you know, as I said, Tori, we know how much, we know where it's coming from, and we know the type, but one of the things we wanted to do too is we wanted to know who was contributing to this, which companies were contributing to this, uh, to, to this waste because you know the thought for us was well, in terms of a, a, a circular economy, we need to have this critical conversation with these manufacturers, and it's not like it's something brand new because uh, this is happening throughout the world because because plastics are an issue. Mm -hmm. And so what we found in our, in our brand audit was that Nestle uh, contributes to 29% of the plastics that's being disposed at the landfill. Pepsi comes out at, Pepsi company comes up at, no, 16%. I know we have a, a bigger amount at 23% of those, you know, those, the labeling were, the labeling was pretty unclear. Mm -hmm. And then we have Coca-Cola at seven percent, and Procter and Gamble at nine. But this is this is uh, just to be clear. Conchita, just to be clear, opportunity to have these conversations. Yeah, right. Conchita, just to be clear, these are your percentages you're quoting, not percentage of the total input to the landfill, but of a certain category. Yes, percentages okay. of the category for plastic. For and plastics. This is just okay. For numbers one and two. Mm -hmm. Out of one thousand four hundred plastic bottles, this is what it came up to be. Mm. Okay. Okay? Right. So the next category is on paper. And and so when you think of paper, you think, oh, well, can't we compost that? Well, not all paper can be composted. And you see that a lot with, like, the mixed paper. And when we say mixed paper, it's because it has some plastic in it. There's, there needs to be additional processing uh, required for it. Um, and so if we're looking at the numbers, Let's see, believe it or not, single, the, the mix, most of the mixed paper by percentage-wise is, is coming from the single-family uh, 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 sector. And let's see, we see some corrugated cardboard that was thrown away, and, and as explained by, by, by Corey uh, Hines, that, you know, Corey a lot Hines of, it, and a lot of the cardboard that, that they did see was, uh, was in pretty poor shape that could not, you know, in other words, they, they couldn't, it would not be accepted for recycling. 
Okay. So in summing all up here, this is very interesting. You're painting a picture of what's going into the um, into uh, the landfill or where the waste that the community has to deal with. Um, right. Maybe just in the remaining few minutes we have on the air, give the listeners a sense as to how this factors into uh, the strategies and the initiatives developed under the Zero Waste Program to divert that waste into uh, green economy initiatives. Okay. Well, let's let's start off with glass. And we know that percentage, and even though it, you know it's not the greatest percentage, but it is a percentage nevertheless. And so we know it goes into the landfill. But what we can do, uh, and we do, we're 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 opposed to to um, or poised rather to to begin another pilot project of getting glass pulverized. We actually have uh, pulverized glass. Uh, some people call it, uh, sometimes they call it colored. Mm-hmm. But we have it in such a grade that it, it looks like sand, and we can use that for, we can divert that into roads. Let's see. And then... The idea is to prove out the concept about what can be diverted into something more productive like road construction. Yes. Yes. And, and on the same line, you know, plastic is in the same, you know, what the ones and twos, I know that... There is there is some collection and there's some movement of ones and twos to go to go to a recycling facility. But we're going to have some problems with that just because a lot of the some of the, the international agreements that are going to make it a little prohibitive, uh, a little difficult to move the plot the the pet bottles like we used to. And so once we knew this, we heard about not knew but we heard this was coming down. And so we started looking. We started looking at other ways to to uh, create something out of plastic. So we've been in. We've been in dialogue with a with a very big company in the U.S. and and it's just a matter of getting the additional data needed. But we're looking at the possibility of plastic, uh, the use of plastic in in the asphalt. Mm, okay. It's something very viable. Uh, and actually, there's two companies that we're looking at, you know, for for uh, plastics and asphalt, and then another company that is that, that would create um, items, if you will, through through a special machine. Uh, again, uh, opportunities for a cottage industry, um, green jobs, if you will. Mm-hmm. And then for the food, there are, there are a couple of there are a couple of things we're looking at. If it's good food, and because we were before the pandemic, we had a, we had an opportunity. It's like we had everything set up where we were working with the with the Hyatt Regency Hotel chef. And and allow me and allow uh, me to insert at this point here. If anyone's interested in if anyone's interested in that project here, that's one of the presentations made at the fifth annual Assembly of Planners Symposium. The, all the proceedings of which are running right now on the government channels, which I believe is channel sixteen on GTA and channel one one six on Docomo. So anyone interested in that in finding lo- more about uh, that food recovery program, it's uh, which is on hiatus right now because of the COVID-19 restrictions, but we fully intend right. to implement it. Uh, you can access there by just watching on the government channels or going to the uh, coastal Guam Coastal Management Program YouTube channel and get all the video clips of the proceedings from the uh, uh, from the symposium. Conchita, I, we're, we're at that point once again. Where okay. I once again, uh, it's it's the time is is six fifty eight or going on six fifty nine, and the news comes on at seven. I know, you know how time flies when you're having fun, and Absolutely. talking about waste and all, and you know broken crushed glass and uh, and food waste and stuff here. So, but that just sets the stage to have you back on um, on the program um, in the future. I wanted you here just to uh, most to update people on with the presentation of the Island Beautification Task Force and to highlight. A lot of your good work um, 
is uh, as uh, is can be uh, may fully explored uh, on watching the government channels or the Coastal Management Program YouTube channel, and they can anyone interested in getting more information uh, and a fuller presentation uh, besides this is radio program, they can tune into that. So, in the last minute, Conchita, any last uh, comments or remarks you want to pass on the listening audience? I do. Well, something wonderful has happened, and uh, and that is uh, the United States Environmental Protection Agency hosts their, they, know, they, they usually host around November 15th their America Recycles Day, which mm -hmm. Guam also recognizes. But this is different me last year. I sat on the round table with, at that time, Andrew Wheeler. This time around, Guam gets to present its zero waste initiatives. Our work wow. is going to be presented you know, at America Recycles Day, albeit it'll be, it's all virtual, uh -huh. but we are in, the, Guam is with the, uh, Guam is in the Tribes and Territories panel, which I will be speaking, oh. uh, and, and the Lieutenant Governor will be opening, will be providing opening remarks. Okay. When, when is, it, when is all this happening? This is happening on November 15th. And, and we're going to get footage for that Zoom meeting. Online. Yes, and, and we're going to get footage of that Zoom meeting and see if we can get on the government channel as well so people are interested in, uh, in being involved in the presentation. Conchita, thank you yes. very much, but it's 7 o'clock, and it's time for the CBS Radio News. I'll have okay. you back on, Conchita, and uh, everyone else here. I'll see you on the other side of the news. Stimulating talk is coming up. You can find K57 on 570 AM. Oh, we've got a bunch of callers uh, online. K57.com. And good evening. And it's time for the Data Hub. PNCGuam.com. Good evening and welcome to another edition of Vet Talk. The K57 apps. And now on 96.5 FM, you're locked on to News Talk K57. with Tyrone Titano. I'm your host, Tyrone Titano. Uh, in this hour, we're going to uh, examine uh, uh, the upcoming election here on Guam. Uh, we are broadcast now live on News Talk K57 and simulcast on GTA Channel 3 and Docomo Channel 2 and also broadcast on 96.5 FM and simulcast live on Facebook at News Talk K57 and also on pncguam.com and k57.com. If anyone's interested in uh, uh, catching up with this program, they're... Uh, uh, there's a podcast that is produced from this program on kv7.com, and we'll be posting a link to that podcast uh, on the Bureau of Statistics and Plans um, social media pages, their Facebook pages, one for the Bureau itself, one for the Coral Reef Initiative, and the third for the Coastal Management Program. So you can uh, catch on what you missed in this program or uh, a previous um, 
uh, program, which uh, you might be interested in uh, hearing to again. Uh, as I said, uh, we're going to examine this hour, uh, the, what's, uh, what's happening with the uh, current election and uh, the early voting process and the upcoming process. Uh, there is a um, headline in today's post saying nearly 10,000 ballots have already been cast among uh, uh, in the early voting process, and this is like uh, almost 20% of the total electorate, uh, which is um, which is amazing and interesting. Uh, and so uh, we'll have on uh, Maria Pangolina to uh, to uh, take a look at that and uh, and see from her perspective about how things going and and uh, what we can expect. Um, for those of um, uh, up there interested uh, in. Uh, and by the way, as I mentioned the, uh, uh, in the previous bl block on the uh, finding more about the zero waste program, um, they can turn into the government channels on, I believe, is uh, um, GTA 16 and Docomo Woman 6 and see the full proceedings of the fifth annual assembly planners symposium that's held on February 20th um, of this year. And because one of the three tracks, the, uh, the tracks were on land and flooding, uh, those the first two. The third one was entirely on zero waste, and so it covered uh, not only the zero waste program, but the waste characterization study for which uh, Conchita Titan, administrator of the zero waste program, was uh, was uh, in the process of explaining, and we sort of ran out of time in the previous block. Uh, but also, we um, uh, we uh, also had. Uh, uh, um, presentations on a number of the um, initiatives, including um, a composting uh, operation for which there was a demonstration project at the port. And uh, that was a presentation of how that works. The idea was to diverse uh, biosolids produced by the sewage treatment plants of Guam Waterworks. And instead of burying them at the port, but actually convert them into uh, through composting into a usable product, uh, a sort of potting soil fertilizer they use for agriculture and gardening and uh, and tree planting uh, to combat erosion and a number of other uses. And so um, uh, there there's, uh, was a, a presentation the, at the assembly uh, explaining that issue, but also um, uh, uh, there was a field uh, uh, trip to the site of the demonstration project on the next day. And there's footage of that and the explanation by uh, Representative Jacobs Engineering who's under contract with the Zero Waste Program to provide their expertise. Jacobs Engineering, which is one of the world's leading engineering companies, uh, has been dealing with a lot of valuable expertise, which is the point of the Zero Waste Program, which is to uh, demonstrate the, uh, the, uh, the science and the mechanics of it. And from that development of programs, uh, privatized programs, that will create more private sector jobs. So you can see that. You can see uh, also... Um, a presentation of um, of a uh, project that was supposed to be implemented by now, but due to the COVID-19 restrictions, were um, were sidetracked here. And this involved uh, taking uh, unused um, cooked food and transporting down to Salvation Army to feed the hungry. Uh, this process would take around a matter of hours. They take the food left over from from lunch that was still uh, good and uncooked, and uh, well, not good, but but cooked, but uh, but uh, not uneaten. Uh, and I consumed, and then transferred down to the Salvation Army in the afternoon, and then for feeding of the hungry that night. Now, uh, this, uh, this, as I said, the presentation was in uh, uh, was in February, February 20th, the the, the, the conference, and of course, COVID-19 hit our community hard in mid-March, and so uh, it not only uh, disrupted the hotel industry, for particularly hotels like the Hyatt, but also uh, put a, uh, major constraints on. On, uh, on large gatherings, such as mass feeding operations that are normally conducted by the Salvation Army. But, you know, as we uh, work our way through the, uh, this public health emergency here, that, uh, that uh, project is, uh, not, uh, is not, uh, has not been put on the ground. It's just been put on hiatus, and we plan to revisit it at, 
uh, next year. There's also was a presentation on uh, uh, on uh, how community outreach and dealing with uh, recycling and getting community support uh, and uh, and the psychology behind that. And so th that was also very interesting, and um, and also a general review of uh, of the zero waste program itself. So if anyone interested, uh, you can either tune into the government channels and catch the presentation or else uh, uh, access it directly by going to the Guam Coastal Management Program uh, YouTube channel and for which the video clips are of, of all the presentations, just about all of them from the assembly planners are posted uh, online. Um, next year, um, the, uh, the, uh, the sixth annual assembly of planner symposium, which is the planning for which is now underway, is expected to, uh, uh, well, it will include a, a, a one of the things that we had, uh, the Bureau had planned to working with the Zero Waste Working Group uh, to do this year, and that is to hold a food symposium, which is to bring in uh, all the major stakeholders and that deal with uh, food inside, and not only agricultural producers, but importers and retailers, and to deal with the whole issue of, uh, of uh, food waste and food security, uh, and uh, look for uh, innovative strategies by which uh, uh, safe, but but uh, but um, uh, but nutritious and usable food uh, can be directed where there is uh, food insecurity, particularly for the neediest in our society, and uh, help uh, cut down on uh, on food waste, uh, most of lots of which is still vastly important, and come with strategies that would also reduce cost to the consumer. So we're supposed to hold this food symposium this year. However, it was um, it was um, uh, uh, again uh, one of those large gatherings that were. Uh, uh, put on its heels as a consequence of the COVID-19 restrictions. Uh, but we're going to fold that food symposium as part of the sixth annual assembly of planners, which will probably be sometime in, in uh, early summer of next year. And uh, yeah, hopefully, well, you know, we will get them through COVID-19 and maybe we'll be able to allow large gatherings for that time. But if not, we have contingency plans to make it a, uh, a virtual uh, uh, sort of uh, a gathering here, in which case it's access uh, to its proceedings will probably be broader to people who uh, may not have the time of the day to go to a, a conference, but uh, but either can uh, access it run online or uh, uh, as the recordings of it uh, at a time convenient to them. So uh, we're very much looking forward uh, uh, to um, to doing that, sir. So anyway, we're looking f uh, as we're waiting for uh, Maria Pangilinan uh, from the uh, Guam Election Commission to call in. She should. Uh, I'll be calling in for now, and then perhaps we'll go to a break and see uh, and see if uh, we can get a hold of her. More stimulating talk is coming up. You can find K57 on 570 AM. Oh, we've got a bunch of callers uh, online. K57.com. And good evening. And it's time for the Data Hub. PNCGuam.com. Good evening and welcome to another edition of Vet Talk. The K57 apps. And now on 96.5 FM, you're locked on to News Talk K57. some difficulties of getting um, Maria Pangolina, Executive Director of the Guam Election Commission online. So I thought I'd uh, take this opportunity to call back my good friend Conchita. And since I really interrupted her completing her thought, because we ran out of time in the first block, uh, I thought I'd give her a chance to complete her discussion about the waste uh, characterization study. Conchita, are you there? Oh, I'm here. Welcome back. You were, you're, you're just so much in demand. We had to bring you back in the next block, you know. So. No. 
<laughs> so anyway, um, but uh, so not not meant to rush you, but we still have some time. We'll probably get Maria Pangolin in, in about 10, 15 minutes from now. But um, maybe more gives you the opportunity to more fully uh, bring in the points and the information regarding the waste characterization study that you were you sort of getting into. You got into um, uh, first of all, uh, uh, you, well, you got into plastics and you got into uh, uh, into I believe organic waste. That's uh, right. And so maybe go, go down the list of the other items in the waste characterization study. Well, uh, let's see. I, I believe I've covered the big stuff. Let me let me pull this up again. And one moment, please. So, if we were to look at the overall results, again, we talked. We talked. We, we covered the organics. And we found out that in the organics, the biggest one was food waste. In terms of plastic, it was the number, and that's at twenty-five percent. We know that the bulk of it is from the number seven plastics. We also know that uh, the largest contributor for the plastic bottles, and that's from one and two, uh, comes from Nestle. And, you know, we, we, we actually started uh, initial discussions with, right, with, right. Uh, with the representative from Nestle uh, before COVID. And the plan was we were going to have that conversation. And so I'm, I'm in the process actually of trying to reconnect with the individual. So so we can uh, see where we can go from there. And then... We, which we, is we basically have, to deal with the concept of... The inorganics, of, oh, right. which we did not cover. Okay. Uh, and I'll tell you, let me let me take this down further, but with the inorganics in particular, uh, the biggest, you know, if you, if you ask, what is that? Well, the biggest thing are diapers. Mm-hmm. Believe it or not, diapers. Diapers is the big thing there. Uh, and then followed by certain textiles, believe it or not, people throwing textiles in there. And then you're waxed uh, plates and cups, mm. uh, and those, and then the the tetra packs. These are the the plastic covered, like the the milk cartons, if you will. That's big, and some rubber. But diapers is number one in terms of. So, by the way, organic. before before we get past this here, for the listening audience, why don't you contrast a tetra pack? Uh, from other sort of plastics or inorganic, uh, is, is it plastics or inorganics? Inter- 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 yeah, tetra pack, the, the, the most common tetra pack uh, that people see is, is uh, like your milk carton that you see in the school. So what, is a, what makes little, a milk uh, carton a tetra pack? Milk, yeah, that's tetra pack. But what makes it a, a, a tetra pack? That it's made of, um, uh, well, of paper, paper and, then, and, then, and then and then and a combination of plastics and, and paper. That makes it a tetra pack, basically. Yeah. Okay. So go ahead. I'm sorry. I just wanted for the listening audience. Want to make sure so they understand the concept as we uh, as we move yeah. forward. Yeah, and Tetra Pak is is a, is a trademark. Uh, that's a that's a brand that that they use. Oh, so uh, so uh, so in other words, we're calling we're calling this material like we all call like every soda Coke or something. Right. Oh, okay. Right. Got te- it. Yeah. So, so it's a material. Tetra Pak right. is a material that you see for uh, a milk carton. Mm-hmm. Your favorite, yeah, especially though you see that in the schools. And and so I knew that there was one thing I did not go over well enough. And then and then if I if you don't mind, Tyrone, how about you know I know that one of the things that that uh, the lieutenant governor was really interested about is is you know what what what's the way forward? What are some of the things we can right. you know recommendations of, of right. moving forward on this? And and what we 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 recommended in there, the rather con- the, the contractor recommended we tend to, in Guamiti agrees is that. You know, you need to implement uh, programs to reduce, recover, and divert, especially the food and compostable organics from the landfill. That's the largest, you know, waste stream there. And and in terms of, uh, you know, methane gas production mm-hmm. and climate change, it, it's a huge contributor. Mm. And it's not just Guam, but it's, it's, it's even in the U.S. 
Now, in terms of immediate options, we need outreach and education in the school homes and businesses. We should we need to have incentives to expand food recovery and donation. And, and you know, there there's somewhat of a food bank at Salvation Army. What we really need to do is something bigger. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, the sort of issue that would be uh, addressed uh, also at the food symposium, which. Uh, uh, in the interregnum, I explained to the listening audience that we're we're actually going to uh, the uh, to be doing that in conjunction with the sixth annual assembly and planner symposium held in uh, probably early summer of next year. Right, we were supposed to do it this year, but then you know, like, well, what is our well because of COVID. Uh, but this is something that that I believe is is going to be beneficial to the island. I mean, if it's good food for goodness' sake, feed the hungry. Right. There's somebody that's hungry out there, right? Right. And if you can't, and if you can't consume it, then obviously, you know, there's other there there are other diversion uh, pathways. One uh, that that's been happening for years is uh, the pig farmers. Mm-hmm. The other one is compost. Mm-hmm. The other one is the uh, conversion into biogas mm-hmm. uh, through uh, through anaerobic digestion. So, uh, what, before I lose my thought, but in terms of immediate options, I talked about outreach and education, incentives to expand food recovery and donation. Mm-hmm. Pool composting, home composting, uh, biosolid composting. So you can see, you know, what the theme is, and it's really to it's really directed towards uh, diverting food and compostable organics from the landfill. Mm-hmm. And in terms of the lo- longer term options, and this is really like infrastructure, uh, we need to have an island wide organics composting facility, uh, and and perhaps pursue the option of anaerobic digestion to to create a biogas. For energy. For energy. Ah, okay. Yeah. And so another, and moving forward again, uh, another, some recommendations on school and Guam recycling. What, you know, go back to the Tetra Pak. You know, mm-hmm. you see a lot, like I said, the milk cartons, those little milk cartons that, you, that, that the students get. And, you know, instead of throwing that away, we need to separate that uh, for recycling. The other one is procurement uh, for the government of Guam. You know, we've recommended that Guam take a look at what they purchase. Uh, for all the agencies and departments, and really start trying to purchase items with post-consumer content, like paper. Mm-hmm. That's, that's low-hanging fruit. And then engage in, in if you're going to, if the government of Guam is going to purchase something, uh, let's say cartridges or some type of an equipment, you know, there should be clause in there that, you know, the company would take it back and dispose of it. Uh, the idea of product stewardship. Yes. 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 Okay, and, well... Well, uh, uh, anything else, Conchita? I think we found, uh, got a hold of Maria Pangolin, and she's on, on online. So anything else you want to wrap up since I dragged no, you back not, into the conversation? No, we can, we can have this conversation later. Okay. Um, I'm glad Maria's there. Maria? Maria, uh, Maria, have you a part uh, on, can we hear you, Maria? Yes, I'm here. Uh, yeah. On the, on the other line is Conchita Titan, who's been... Uh, oh, yeah, who's been, day, Conchita. Yes. Off a day, Maria. We, anyway, we, and this is where, you know, I exit stage left because I know that, you know, Tyrone has a lot of questions to ask you. <laughs> so we'll talk some more later, okay? Yes, thank you. Okay, um, that... That was yeah. Conchita Taino, Minister of the of the, uh, the Zero Waste Program here. And with us now is, is the maybe the busiest woman on the island, Maria Pangolina, Executive Director of the Guam Election Commission. Maria, thank you so much for taking time off from your really busy schedule uh, to, um, to, uh, to join us here for the, this, uh, the last half hour of this program. Okay, so um, as of today, we serviced 10,163 voters. Wow. That's about, uh, what, 19% of the electorate? 
Uh, just about, I think. Mm. Uh, we, I think I was at 18% last night. Ah, okay. So maybe, Maria, uh, just for the... You know, one of the reasons why I, have, I, I do this program is to give... Um, get some information out there in a long form that sort of cannot always fit and you've seen that you've seen that frustration as well as well as you there's so much information to get out there and they can't fit into a, like a 30 second soundbite or a couple uh, paragraphs of column inches and so uh, the idea is to give people this long form uh, process to get the information on this so perhaps we should take this uh, sort of chronology why don't you discuss what was it took to go into the current early voting process uh, how it's going and then uh, from there, do a preview as to what people can expect on election day. So, uh, maybe explain some of the preparations you did into for this uh, for this uh, rave review uh, early voting process that's going on right now. So, the law was passed that said we would have um, in-office absentee voting for 45 days instead of 30 days. The law also said that we would that anybody can vote in office, whereas in the past, only voters with excuse can vote in office. If they were going to be off island, if they were a nurse and were working 16 shifts, so they won't be, um, uh, they won't be able to come to the, uh, to the polling place. Um, those, so, you know, on average, across the years that I've been here, I think we had about a thousand absentee ballots, mm-hmm. or a little over a thousand, to send out to the precincts. So currently, we have over ten thousand to send out to the precincts. Mm-hmm. Um, the the law that was passed to allow in-office absentee voting for forty-five days also required um, a safety plan. Mm -hmm. We submitted that to the legislature um, on September 14th. And to this day, we try very hard to make sure that our voters are safe, our our staff uh, get all the equipment that we we know of Mm -hmm. that could prevent the or minimize the spread of COVID-19. In that, res- in that respect, you were aided by a federal funding, a federal grant that was issued in the, one of the earlier CARES package as well to help the election process. Wasn't that not the case? Um, in April uh, April this year, we actually received the $600,000. Mm. So with the $600,000 and the plan to do in-office absentee voting for both the primary and the general, um, we had the resources, we had the financial resources to do that. Uh, we were impeded a little bit by the process mm-hmm. of getting people on board, but we finally got them on board uh, bef- uh, like the day before we opened um, absentee voting uh, for, I believe, or for the primary election. So, And then the primary got canceled, but still you had the benefit of that planning and that operational development for the general election. Yes, and actually, uh, Tyrone, it goes back a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Uh, we could not spend any COVID money for this for the Jotunia special election, right? Because there was no federal election. But right. we, it was a great run. It was a great. It was great practice, or it was right. you know great implementation in just one precinct. So uh, we were able to get a nurse to work with us up at. 
um, M. Liu Luhan mm-hmm. for the Jotunia special election. Unfortunately, or, you know, we don't want to bother the nurses. They have their hands full, but yeah. we hope to have at least one of them help us during the general election. Well, before we get to that, so you, you've you had the benefit of this federal finance support and the operational money to be able to pilot this process with a joint special election. And so... Um, what what did you what what so what was created uh, for the early voting process? There was a uh, anyone who's done the early voting process know that there's a whole uh, section of the election minute offices where you have um, uh, stations and with a lot of protections uh, for uh, uh, social distancing and with plexiglass shields there. So maybe discuss what those preparations were like and and also on the offsite uh, uh, early voting sp- uh, uh, stations. So. So all the all the protective equipment was just now coming out on Guam. Mm-hmm. And, um, well, I'll start way back on May 11th was the first day to accept candidate packets. Mm. So we had been closed to the public and closed to everyone where I myself would come down to do payroll from, from March, February, March. So um, I... Of course, the young guns here at the Guam Election Commission, you know, they're all at home, but they're all at home learning all the, you know, what protective equipment are available on Guam, what processes we could do, um, and the commissioners were keeping on our keeping us on our toes as we met consistent as they met consistently to get to keep abreast of what progress we were making or what we were learning. I am so, I'm so glad you mentioned that because as you know, Maria, there is this myth out there uh, that because of so many government workers that have been detailed to, work, to telework from home, uh, that somehow they're just lying around and uh, and not doing real work here. Your people, though, although uh, because the COVID-19 restrictions had to be uh, had to telework for home or work from home, they were actually doing some real important work to prepare for this election, were they not? Yes, Tyrone. If you remember, um, the the um, Georgia special election mm-hmm. was scheduled for, I believe, March 31st, and then got rescheduled twice. Right. And so, you know, we were all nervous because we didn't know, we you know, we didn't know anything about uh, uh, PPEs. We didn't know anything. And so our partners stayed with us throughout public mm-hmm. health. Mm-hmm. They knew, you know, they knew I was really worried that the Guam Election Commission was really worried about being a spreader. Um, we took it to the limit where we, I actually went around Jotnia Village with the mayor staff. At that time, there was no sitting mayor, so there was no conflict of interest where I did a recording of myself announcing the special election and we went throughout the whole village announcing this, letting them know to know that it should be safe. Uh, we've learned as much as we can, and we're going to put it in place. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yes, we were working really, the, the staff was working really hard learning it. And, you know, as old as I am compared to them, uh, sometimes they were frustrated because I would ask questions that probably didn't make sense. But... Um, uh, they they persevered through that, um, and then we started meeting. Come May 11th, mm-hmm. we set up a room with with sneeze guards. We set up a room. We bought 
uh, thermometers already. Mm-hmm. We were already screening our candidates who were coming in to to file their um, their packets. So May 11th, we were already in gear. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, so um, does um, uh, so that brings us to the early voting process. And what we have now is um, uh, people can early vote at the election mission offices in Uganda. Is is that not correct? Yes. So we open early voting from nine o'clock in the morning until six o'clock in the evening. We right. won't turn anybody away. Upstairs on the third floor, if you call four seven seven nine seven nine one. We will ask you your preference, your your preference as to what time you want to come. We will also prepare your application for absentee ballot, and that saves you, the voter, a lot of time. Mm-hmm. We will prep it, get it ready, put it in the stack for the time um, you you prefer. We will send it up to the third floor. You should cut your time by about five minutes. Five minutes, and, and so they, this is the before the drive-through voting. Oh no, that's for upstairs on the third floor. I see. Okay. Okay. So who's doing um, the drive-through voting? Okay. Um, uh, so drive-through, just come with your photo ID. Uh-huh. Uh huh. We're not making appointments because we don't have very much space up in front. Right. So just come with your ID. Turn off your aircon as soon as the GE staff approaches you. All you have to do is get in the queue starting closer to, I think, the old Staywell building. Right. That's where it starts. Just get in line, and we will start servicing you under the first tent where we will take your ID. We will go in. The staff will go into a temporary office. Um, on the first floor where inside there's a a few staff that are putting together um, your paperwork including your application your affidavit envelope and your ballot and then they will come out of there towards uh, on the other side and approach you again with all the all the material that you will need to be able to vote your ballot without leaving your car Without leaving your car, and, and in my observations, they've passed passed by the GCIC building there. Although there are lines there, they don't seem to be excessively long lines. So it seems like a very efficient uh, process that's meeting demand. Yes, um, you know. Uh, so um, in um, in um, Malesu, our first um, satellite location, mm-hmm. uh, we only had two hundred. We had two hundred forty-two curbside voters Mm -hmm. but here since uh the beginning of the week we've we you know we topped those numbers so Mm -hmm. yesterday we serviced 245 today we serviced 294 curbside voters well now that you um, uh, touched on the regional uh, voting sites the first off being maritza maybe just explain that process well for the listening audience and and how that was organized and how that went So we were, we you know, we were trying to figure out how to get to, um, how to get get how we should we can be closer to the voters. Mm-hmm. So people were suggesting that we go and we open up satellite locations. But one of our, you know, we need to protect the, the sanctity of the ballot. So we all understood that we can only open one 
satellite location at a time. Mm -hmm. And that when the satellite location is open, we have to close GEC. So we figured four four regions of the island, figure out where our where our voters are we went to the south in Malesu we in the central we went to Manilao and up north we went to Jigo and Dedido uh four Saturdays in a row mm. okay and so uh, and how was the turnout of these satellite centers would you say oh you know it we um we were expecting more or we wanted more of right. course we wanted more but it you know it like in um in Dedido, we got over 900 people wow. show up. Wow. In uh, Jigo, we had over 800 people show up. Mm-hmm. So, ev- And in Manila, we had close to 700 people wow. show up. That's not bad. That's not bad for a single mm-hmm. site, you know, and uh, for early voting. And, uh, and, and, and credit kudos to you, Maria, and your staff here. There's in all these satellite sites and the early voting sites down at the GCIEC building, there's, uh, there's none of those hugely long lines that's been on our television screens from uh, Texas and Georgia and New York City and uh, for people waiting hours in line. So many times that people volunteered to bring them food, which I just, you know, it's sort of shocking Tyrone. to me. You know, this is, yes. Tyrone, not as long as Ross. And not as long as DFS. <laughs> and it's free. And it's free. <laughs> and it's free. And you get a sticker that says I voted. Oh, well, gee, it's free and you get something to take away with you there. Well, you can't beat a deal like that and, and helping preserve democracy. I mean, gee, that's a three for right there. So um, is, were we done with the satellite uh, um, uh, voting stations, I believe, by, by now? Yes, okay. um, we're, uh, that was our, that, and, and we timed it so that we were at the satellites while registration was still, av- while the registration process can keep going. Can okay, go but on. registration is closed right now. Registration closed on Friday, October 23rd. And how long is early voting lasting? 45 days. No, but when, is, when this week does oh, it end? sorry. We end this Friday. This Friday, October 30th? October 30th. Okay. Uh, uh, and so that's the last day for people to come down to either the drive-through or to go into the uh, third floor, which is what I did. Um, and uh, that process was, was fairly quick. Uh, you know, Tyrone, I wanted to make sure I mentioned that if you go up to the third floor, you would have an opportunity to use the universal express votes. It's not an electronic voting machine. It simply marks your ballot. So the people that have used it have uh, have expressed, uh, I want to use it every time I vote. So, so you know, so, for those so that how does that work? I, yet, maybe explain how that. I'm not sure how what kind of machine this is. Do I I put in my ballot, and then I press buttons, and then it marks it for me? Is that how this works? Yes. Yeah. Ah. And all the names of the candidates will just show up. So you can avoid issues of, um, and, and in essence, it it, it 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 discharges the paper ballot on the other side. And then that's what you put into the into the ballot box. Is that how that is? A- yeah. So so actually, it's uh, it's smaller than the regular ballot. Uh-huh. So it's a blank piece of paper, right. a cardstock. It's it's the same uh, it's the same uh, type of paper as a ballot, but it's smaller. Mm-hmm. And you get a blank one. You go through the you go through the ballot, 
it'll show up on the screen. It'll print out your your selections, mm-hmm. and before it prints it out, you're going you you're able to check and triple check even mm-hmm. uh, your your selections to make sure it's correct. And when you know, and just like the just like the regular ballot, if you don't think that's the ballot you want to uh, to submit. You can get get up to three tries on the machine. So the advantage of this process is is that it comes up with a more clearly more clearly marked ballot. Is that is that what you're saying, or is that um, the? Actually, yes, it does. And actually, you know, you um, let me see. It 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 is it may be faster. I think it was fast. It's faster for me. Mm-hmm. Instead of instead of filling in the ovals. Correct. Okay. So it's a faster process, a more clearly marked ballot, but it doesn't actually count the ballot. The ballot, it just produces it, Correct. the marked ballot, and then the, the voter still has to file that marked ballot or submit it to, into the ballot box, so to speak. Uh, well, you know, it gets sealed in the ballot envelope. Right. That's inside the affidavit envelope. Right, because this is, this is absentee. Uh, uh, yeah. Yeah, okay. And then, then anyway, it's there, and then that's put into the ballot box. Correct. Okay. Okay. Well, uh, maybe I might have tried it uh, next ne- next election. Maybe I'll try it then. So the uh, at this point here, we're uh, we're um, one of the more interesting things when I read today's post and the banner headline: nearly ten thousand ballots cast. Is that uh, when they did the age breakdown here? Uh, predominantly, the turnout is in the senior citizen category here, which is I, I thought was a very striking um, uh, statistics. Um, not only because of you know the uh, speaks to the uh, uh, the that uh, seniors tend to turn out to vote, but you know this whole process of early voting and some of the protections you put into place is, is was driven by health uh, consideration, namely COVID nineteen. And of course, has been widely reported, the more vulnerable part of our population are the senior citizens, and to the extent that um, they've been able to turn out in record numbers, uh, such a large proportion here in a process that's uh, likely to be safer. And then turning out on election day, uh, I think is uh, is a testament to the success of the early voting process uh, conducted by uh, you and the other folks at the Guam Election Commission. I think. So, so in anyway, with that, um, we have like ten minutes left in the discussion. Why don't you give folks a preview as to what those who are going to vote on election day? What can they expect? Where are they going to show up to vote? What is the process going to be like, et cetera? So. We will, have, you know, it would look, ju- it would almost look just like on a regular election day. Uh, we will be out there at 22 polling sites, one in every village. Dededo will have three. Jigo will have two. As normal, in other words. As normal. Okay. Yes. We will have um, five precinct officials uh, um, running the election in every precinct. Mm. Okay. As as normal, we will have sneeze guards at every um, at every precinct. Um, we will have a signature guard as well, where instead of touching the signature roster, you will sign on top of a plexiglass with a little hole where you will sign. Um, make sure you wear your mask. Uh, we will screen you at the entrance of the polling room. We will have uh, polling site managers as well as additional election workers that will take your temperature. And 
we will, as we are anticipating more curbside voters, um, we have that we have additional election workers to assist the precinct officials with uh, with curbside voting. Who who's eligible for curbside voting? Um, we want to urge our Manamku and our persons with disabilities and our persons with uh, medical issues to get to curbside voting. Yeah, why don't you get a, get a sip of water if you can, Maria? Then I'll, I'll, <laughs> then I'll give you a chance. To just, uh, That's okay. I, no, no, it's okay. I, I wanted to sort of mention a. Uh, uh, a couple things here. Uh, one, uh, one is, of course, is that uh, as in any large gathering, people will have to, when they show the voting places, they'll have to um, their mask. But uh, I also wanted you to, you know, when you um, to discuss what the expected turnout here. You know, this is there's been a massive surge in early voting across the country, and one of the things being debated is is whether this massive surge of early voting uh, is a uh, harbinger for um, an equally massive turnout on election day. In other words, does it, is it a harbinger for, for general uh, uh, increased turnout? Or are the early votes just cannibalizing the, uh, the uh, voters that normally would have turned out on election day uh, from uh, uh, if there was no early voting here? And so I, I wanted to get your thoughts as to which, from granted, no one knows for sure until we actually hold the, uh, conduct the election on, on Tuesday. But what do you think is more likely to happen? And then, and what is your expectation when early voting is done and, uh, and the uh, uh, election day voting is done, what, what turnout is expected to be? Well, you know, I leave that to the com- to the commissioners. Ah. They're much better at that. They're much better at that than 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 I am. I don't even know how to campaign. Mm. So what they've said, and I listen intently, okay. is that they're ex- they're um, expecting sixty to sixty five. Some are saying fifty five to sixty percent. What, what is it normally in a in a in a um, in a um an election year. Let's say let's this is a this is a non gubernatorial election year. So what what is what does turnout normally in a non gubernatorial election year? Um you know it, it since two thousand um since I believe two thousand uh fourteen mm-hmm. I'm sorry, two thousand sixteen mm-hmm. uh we had uh sixty nine percent. Okay. Uh two thousand eighteen we had uh, 67%. Mm-hmm. All right? Mm-hmm. 2016 was not a gubernatorial. 2000, 2006, uh, 2016 or? Was not. Yes. And we still had 69%. And what was it in 2018? 67%. 67%. So when, when some of the commissioners are speculating, um, uh, turnouts of about 65%, they're basically uh, estimating it'll be same as in previous years, roughly yes. in the same neighborhood. Except for those who say in the 55, in which they're, they're, they're expecting a lower voter turnout, which I think is, a, is an interesting observation. I'm not going to ask you. We need to put it in, we, we, we need to take a look at, like, at one of the uh, variables, right? Mm-hmm. The number of registered voters, is, is, which is what we use. We've grown our number of registered voters. Uh, we're up to 55,000, back up to 55,000, and mm-hmm. we haven't seen that since um, the last time we saw 
the um, more than 55,000 was in 2002. So you're saying that because we have a larger electorate, that's a tougher hill to climb in terms of reaching those percentage benchmarks, is that that's so much many more people that have that's to turn correct. out than in previous electorates. Ah, that, that, that's interesting, though, you know. Too bad we don't get to vote for president, even though we have a straw vote there. Then I'm sure turnout <laughs> would go, go through the roof just to get into this one here, and, then, and, and if only to, particularly if there's betting involved. Uh, but, um, but beyond the scope. Beyond the, beyond the scope. <laughs> well, Maria, we're, we're heading towards the last few minutes of, uh, of the show, heading to the um, uh, CBS Evening News at the top of the hour here. And uh, this is a stage I like to give our, our, uh, my guests the opportunity uh, to impart whatever additional information or imparting uh, words you want to give our listening audience. So uh, the mic is yours, Maria. All the effort is putting in to minimizing the spread of COVID. Um, the Guam Election Commission's efforts are all towards that. Call 477-9791 or just simply come down to the Guam Election Commission offices tomorrow, Thursday, or Friday from 9 o'clock to 6 o'clock. Um, we urge you to come. We urge you to help us minimize the spread of COVID. Um, uh, and we still, you know, we want to keep you safe as well. Oh, fantastic here. Our guest has been Maria Pangolian, head of the uh, great staff of the Guam Election Commission, who's uh, pulling up early voting and ensure a, a general election uh, uh, vote on uh, a week from today. And will do so without having to ha make people stand in line for six, seven, nine, ten, and 11 hours like they're doing across the country on the mainland here. So uh, kudos to you, Maria, and, um, and uh, for all the work you do. Stay safe. Have your staff stay safe, and uh, I'm sure um, you look forward to getting a good night's sleep a week after after next week. Seduce <laughs> Masi, Maria. Thank you so much. Uh, this is the Data Hub with uh, Tyrone Titano. Uh, we're heading to the top of the evening news. Uh, we broadcast live on News Talk K57 and simulcast on GTA Channel 3 and Docomo Channel 2. A podcast of this uh, program can be found on kv7.com, and links to those podcasts will be posted in the next couple of days on the social media pages of the Bureau of Statistics and Plans. That would be the Bureau of Statistics and Plans Facebook page, the Coral Reef Initiative Facebook page, and the Guam Coastal uh, Management Program Facebook page. So tune in next week uh, for the data. Uh, well, actually, we may not have a program next week because uh, my guess is the program will be preempted by uh, news coverage of, the, of election night. So, uh, but probably after that, we'll, we'll return. So see you then. Uh, news is at the top of the hour. Thank you very much.
Ringe. 